Let's worship. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. in your love this morning. We stand assured on it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus.
trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. All this stand before the
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to worship you, Lord. In spirit and truth, Lord, we lift you up. We magnify you, Lord. We pray that you'd be, you'd be um, lifted up by this time in the word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So a little different Sunday. The youth, oh, thanks, Amanda. The youth will be staying in here with, during service as far as the, the, the seventh grade and up. Um, Steve and I switched places. You know, he did the announcements, and I got to, I get to bring the, the message this morning. It's an it's a inter- interesting week of collisions. A lot of, a lot of special, important dates kind of converging on these weeks. You know, Ron mentioned uh, Thursday is going to be Veterans Day and, and remembering those who've, and honoring those who have served. Uh, time change was last night, in case you didn't remember. Hopefully you did. Um, and this, this week is also a special week. One, my, my family and I were, were actually adopting a dog today. That's kind of excited about that. Um, it was Catherine King's birthday today, the, the one playing drums. So there's just been a lot of things coming together. And also November 3rd, with this last week, really marked an important day for my wife and I. It was 11 years ago, November 3rd, that we met up for what was going to be a coffee, and it turned into a breakfast. Uh, and uh, for it, 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 yeah, it, it's it's. It's been amazing. So I, we'd kind of connected over email and Facebook and had some friends of friends connecting us and trying to get us to, to meet each other. And I invited her for coffee, and she said, why don't we do breakfast? So Kay's Country Kitchen, 11 years ago. Uh, turned out to be a three-hour breakfast, almost lunch. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. When... Um, when we met, it was interesting. Both very, very much on our hearts was orphans and, and adopting and, and possibly even foster care. And it was just a, a week after we met that we both ended up going to a, um, an Orphan Sunday conference at, our, at a church and connecting over to that as well. And really, ever since then, adopting and orphan care and um, foster care has been on our hearts, but we haven't taken that active step. It's a big commitment. So... I want to honor you, though, that are here this morning that have taken an orphan into your house, that have fostered kids or, or um, adopted kids. It's, it's, I really recognize the commitment, and God recognizes that. That's the, ve- the very heart of God is, is that sacrifice. He has a lot to say about the fatherless and the orphan. I've got a few verses because today is Orphan Sunday as well. So uh, Psalm 68, 5 says, A father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. And that verse really came home to me in my early 20s when my dad passed away of cancer and, and my mom was left widow and, and there we were. Still in my 20s, but felt fatherless and it was, it was a hard time. Psalm 82 says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 1 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and rebuke the, uh, and plead for the widow. James 1 verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So God's justice will not allow, his, allow him to forget the ill treatment of his family. God's justice will not allow him to forget the ill treatment of his family. I have to make a confession, and I'm sorry, topical teaching is not normally my strong point. I, I very much prefer, and, and our, our church is normally a very verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, so topical is a little bit out of my, out of my, my norm. Um, I like the cadence that we have as our church goes verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter. Um, it's hard to skip over the, the tough stuff, right, when, when, we do, when you're working verse by verse. But this morning, we come to another really important special day that's really the international church. The church around the world is, is, is remembering. It's that, that is the international day of prayer for the persecuted church, for the persecuted Christians. So it's, it's something that's being uh, remembered and done throughout churches all over the world. Something else out of my wheelhouse is I'm going to give you four points this, mes- this morning, four points. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you an alliteration. So we have promises to the church, power for the church, 
persecution of the church, and lastly, prayer for the church. Those are my four Ps. And uh, to carry on a few more Ps before we get practical, or before we get to the practical, let's get through a few principles. The first one is, is the promises to the church. And the church really began in the mind of God, but was birthed from the side of Christ. It was not something that was invented by people. The church is something that Jesus Christ himself authored. And Jesus himself uh, a birth from the side of the Christ. When, when Jesus died on the cross and, it, and he was pierced in the side, out, out from that, that hole came blood and water, just like the, the, the birth, uh, birth fluid. Jesus birthed us at the, at the cross. Matthew 16, where I'd actually like you to turn this morning, is where um, Jesus first mentions this thing he calls the church. Uh, we'll have the verses up on the screen. I love to hear verses, books, Bibles turning in our youth group. It's exciting. You know, uh, uh, Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Genesis, verse by verse. And then on, on Sunday mornings, normally, we're going through the book of Revelation as well, verse by verse. And I, I, tell, I, t I tell the students every week, I love to hear those, bi those pages turn. So uh, Matthew 16 is where we're at. Verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? That was the question that Jesus had. Who do men say that I, who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus gets personal. He says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he also said to you, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's interesting, different churches have taken different meanings for that. The, the Catholic Church means that they, they put, they ascribe that the, the rock on which the church would be built would be Peter and the Popacy, or the Papacy, Papacy. Uh, and so they, they place Peter there and then all the popes in, in, in order after that. Uh, the Protestant Church says that it's really the, the, the confession that Peter makes of who Jesus was. Uh, that was, that's what we as evangelical Christians say, that, that, that the confession is the rock and that Jesus is the rock and confessing him as our rock. It's interesting where Jesus chose to say this. And I didn't give this to the first service, so this is a little extra bonus, but Caesarea Philippi was, was known to be outside of the boundary of Israel. It was in the area of the region of Bashan. And it's near uh, where Mount Hermon is, and it's, it's, it's in a very interesting place where... Um, the Jews understood at that time that there was a very big spiritual battle going on. And a lot of what the, the, the church, or the, the, the New Testament Jews understood was that there was, there was an, a, a connection there with the de demonic and oppression and the sicknesses that were happening were up in Mount Hermon. And who, what was happening there with the sons of God. So for Jesus to go to the region of Caesarea Philippi, to go to that place where he stood on, and he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus was making a very spiritual connection to the physical geography of that land and saying, I am the son of God. And my church will be built on my rock, on, on me. And he said, I will build that church. So if Jesus was the inventor and the builder of the church, it was not man's idea, but it was held back in this mystery that the New Testament talks about, that the church was a mystery held back for a while until it was revealed by Jesus. So if the church is a, this, this if Jesus is the builder of the church, he gave us these promises. And so that's what we want to remember this morning. We promise this to the church. And the promise was that Jesus would build his church. In John 14, he says he is preparing a place for us. For his church. The promise that Jesus will always be with our, the church is found in Matthew uh, 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. That was the promise that Jesus would be with us to the end of the age. He would never leave us as orphans. Hebrews 13.5 says this. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as, as you have. For he himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are promises that we hold on to. I like what D.L. Moody said regarding the promises of God. He says this. He said, take the promises of God and let a man feed on them for a month. And he will not talk about how poor he is. He said, you have heard people say, oh, my leanness, how lean I am. He said, it's not their leanness, but their laziness. If you would only read Genesis to Revelation and see all the promises made by God to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to all his people everywhere, if you would spend a month feeding on the precious promises of God, you wouldn't be going about complaining how poor you are. Instead, you would lift up your head and proclaim the riches of his grace because you couldn't help doing it. That's from D.L. Moody. So how do we maintain these promises? If God gave us these promises, how do we maintain them? Are they up to us to maintain? Are they up to us to keep continuing to do these things? No, it is not up to us. I love the 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 men's rallies a year from years ago called Promise Keepers. But even more, I think, we, how important it is that we are promise takers, that we receive and take in the promises of God for our life, holding fast to those things promised to us. I'll ask the question, how do you open a locked door? If you heard something horrible happening in the house and you heard screaming and yelling, how would you get into that house? How would you get in through that door? Well, if it was your own house, you'd use keys. You wouldn't have to break it down. You'd use the keys. And I think it's important. I think we don't even understand what Jesus was saying when he said in Matthew 16, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, Whatever you loose on earth, we loose in heaven. There is something powerful about, about prayer, something powerful about these keys that we've been given that we have power to affect even the unseen realm. We have been given this power. This power is a divine power. So that's, our, that's my second point, power to the church. Power to the church. It says the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus, but yet given for the church. Acts 1 says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has been put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. It's that power. It's like I, I, can, I can have a chainsaw. I have a chainsaw at home, and if I try to use the chainsaw without power, it would take a long time to try to sog a log. But you have to rev the engine up. You have to use the power from that fuel, and then turn, the, and it then begins to turn the, the motor, and, and then turns the chain, which cuts the log. It's that power that we need. That's the power that God's given us by his Holy Spirit. After the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples at Jerusalem, I love how Peter for the first time in his public ministry, then stands up, preaches to this large crowd, and it says that over 3,000 people received Jesus that day. That's how many were added to the church. That was because Peter had been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and give the message. Acts Acts 2 says this. It says, and this was the response, the crowd's response. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given for power for the church, and it's a divine power. 2 Corinthians 10 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. They're given this divine power. How often do we use it? The Holy Spirit was the gift to the church so that that church wouldn't be orphaned. My dad passed away. There was a number of things, a number of hardships that came to the front, things that were 
um, hidden, things that were not, not spoken of. Uh, my sister was going through some incredibly hard things, and that didn't all surface until after my dad had passed away. And it was after my dad passed away, we were like, we just looked like, Lord, you, you need to help us get through these things. You need to help us get through the legal things. You need to help us get through these other very personal hardships, Lord. And God did. God used his spirit. God used the family, the body of Christ in our, fa- in, our, in our family. And it was an incredible time to look up and not see my earthly dad, but to see my heavenly father really come and take care of us. We're not orphaned. 1 Corinthians 1 says, so that you come short in no gift, speaking of the Holy Spirit, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.12 says that different gifts were given by the Holy Spirit for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. Not just this church, not, not just the churches that meet in Rio Grande or the county or, the, or, or our, our state, but really across the world, we are the body of Christ. And just like when you go to drive that nail home so you can hang that picture up on the wall and you accidentally miss the head of the nail and you hit your finger and all of a sudden your finger begins throbbing, does not your whole body begin to throb? Like, oh, like when one part of our body hurts, the rest of our body seems to hurt. My, my, my wife might be able to tell you about my man colds, you know, like I get a little sore throat and next, next thing I'm, I'm just laid out on the couch. I can't do anything else. My whole body hurts. When one part of the body hurts, the whole part of the body hurts. My heart has been broken this week as I, as I hear of stories of the stories of our brothers and sisters across the world being persecuted. The reports coming out of Afghanistan really after our botched withdrawal have just been heartbreaking. What have I done with those? Paul would say to the Corinthians, he says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So if God has given us promises to his church, if if God has given power to the church, then persecution of the church follows. It's not so different because Jesus received that persecution. There's a story that I heard recently um, about a a man uh, who went to British Columbia and he was watching a logger work. And this logger was watching these logs come down the stream and, and the logger began to stick his pole into some of them as he watched them go by and he began to pull them aside. And there's something that the logger recognized that the, the vacationer was like, hey, what, what, what are you doing with those logs? Why are you pulling those ones apart? And he said, well, there's, there's two different types of trees that, that I'm, I'm, I'm separating. Well, the ones that allow to pass are the ones that grew in the valley. And those ones that grew in the valley were very... They were protected. They, were, they didn't have the, the, the harsh elements against it. They were very protected. They were watered. They had everything they need, and they, so they grew fast, and they grew strong, but the grain in it is very coarse. He said, the ones that I, I separate and keep off the side, I know those ones come from, from the high mountains. Those are the ones, that, the trees that have been beaten and just hit one after another with a storm or they've been in the situations of drought. And so what that's caused those trees to do is the, the wood is more precious because the grains are tighter. The wood is more beautiful. It's more precious. So he pulls those off to be used, not in the common lumber, but as for fine furnishing, for the woodworking. And there's something that God is doing in the church abroad where he is allowing some of us to grow in the valleys in easier conditions. But there's some, our brothers and sisters, who are growing on the mountain high tops where they're being beaten and persecuted and things are coming against them, the storms that are, that are raging there. So we want to recognize that, that God allows persecution. And all the love that God has for us, God still allows for persecution. Jesus himself received that persecution. He was the head of the spear. He says in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, not, would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And we see that through church history, that, that Stephen right there in Acts chapter 7 was the first to be martyred for his faith, for his belief in Jesus. James, the brother of John, one of the 12 disciples, was not far, far long after that in, in Acts chapter 12. Church history shows that, that, that the world hates us and they will persecute us. And really all the disciples, with the exception of John, were martyred for their faith, were killed for their faith, suffered horrible deaths. With the exception of John, right? John, Fox's Book of Martyrs says that John, who wrote the, the, the Revelation, the Epistles of John, John was, they tried to boil him in a vat of oil to kill him, and that didn't kill him. He remained unsinged. And so they put him out of that, that, that boiling oil, and they sent him off to the island of Patmos, where he once received the, the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. They tried. They couldn't do it. Hebrews 11 talks as well about the persecution that came against some. Hebrews 11 says this. It says, Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith, but they did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. With all that said, the church of now is facing more persecution than ever. And really, COVID has even made that even worse by a lot of accounts. This is what it said. It said that it's thought that over 340 million Christians living in places where they are experiencing high levels of persecution and discrimination. 340 million Christians living in places where they experience persecution and discrimination. Over this last year, 4,761 4, Christians were killed for their faith, martyred for their faith. Seems low even. Dan was talking to Daniel after, after the first message. He mentioned, he, he, he as well thinks that so many of these things happen below the radar where we don't even hear about him. He, he knew about a church in Kenya where the whole church and every member inside of it was, was burned up and it didn't make the news at all. Forty, over Almost 4,500 churches and other Christian buildings this year alone have been attacked. 4,277 believers had been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned this year. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to show a quick video um, that, that uh, the, the persecuted church has made. So let's, let's watch this video real fast. you maybe you will be converted yeah <laughs> so they do a cut and then they ask, ask you recite, yeah. recite from the Quran and if you couldn't they do another cut mm. 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 I used to remember how traumatized we were you know we were so scared from just leaving our house trust them to be humane and they were known for killing people known for making people disappear and known for permanently disabling people the churches are destroyed you cannot preach the gospel because your half of your members have run away you can't even hold church because while you are in church the church is surrounded by herdsmen and everybody's gone down how can you preach the gospel? It is impossible. She cried out and she said, 
Lord, help me. And then one of the soldiers came up and put a pistol in her mouth and said to her, I'll show you how God helps you. And he shot her through the mouth and blew out the side of her face. When he was shot from here, he fell here. This is the blood of that man until today. After shooting the guy at the door, went to the pastor and I started shooting those in the door. Persecution exists behind an iron curtain erected by the press, and as a result, the church is largely asleep when it comes to persecution. We live in luxury while our brother and sister are suffering greatly. You know, the Father calls us to care for his broken body, to let justice roll down like water, to break every yoke and chain off of his body. Now, this is his call. This is his call to you and to me. So please, wake your brother and sister to obedience to care for the persecuted church. It's heavy. It's heartbreaking. So what do we do when we hear of the persecution that's happening to our brothers and sisters? It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer with remembering his promises, Jesus' promises for his church and also his power that was given to his church. We never know how soon this might be us in that situations as well. Second Timothy says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will also suffer persecution. Peter will say, write in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fire trial which is about to come or try you as though some strange thing had happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of the, of the glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matter. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. We're called to glorify God despite sufferings or persecutions, no matter what. There's a call that we, we get to rejoice because we partake in what happened to Christ. But I said this earlier, I said God's justice will not allow him to forget the ill treatment of his family. This doesn't go unnoticed to God. God's not asleep. He's not allowing this just to happen. does not go unnoticed. John was given a, a, a glimpse into the throne room of God in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. It says this, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Oh, how long, O Lord, how long, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on your earth. And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, were completed. None of their voices went unnoticed. None of their voices was lost to God. God's not asleep. He's not ignorant, but he's patient. He's long-suffering in his judgment. But yet he calls us to be aware and pray Remember, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. So my final point, and more the, the, the practical aspect, aspect of it, is that pr we're going to pray for the church. In a few minutes, we're going to take time. We're going to set some time. We're going to turn to each other, and we're going to pray for the persecuted church abroad. You know, Jesus himself prayed for the unity of the church. As, as, the persecution, as, as, as his death was impending, as in the next day, he, he spent time in John 17 to pray for unity to the church, unity to his body, unity amongst believers in his family. Paul over and over again in his epistles reminded to, to pray for him and all, all the others that were suffering. So we want to join this morning with our brothers and sisters in prayer. And I, I've been heard that in Afghanistan, the, the AP News reported 
and they were talking to this. This is a high. This is coming straight from a high up government official. But to, that government official told the AP News that amputations and executions were necessary for security. And it was reported that the Taliban's cabinet ministers were now discussing whether or not punishment should be made public. Under Taliban rule in the 1990s, executions were held in public. For those living there, the scenes of public massacres and amputations inside Kabul's soccer stadium are still fresh in the minds of Afghan people. They know it's, they know it's headed. They know it's coming. For seeker believers inside their country who have left Islam to follow Jesus, they are considered apostates under Sharia law. The new announcement is death sentence. Under strict Sharia law, apostates are subjected to execution. So what do we do with that? Well, the Afghan Christian there, and one man by the name of Saeed, he said, for us, everything has been taken away. He said, we need you to ask God on our behalf, to pray for us on, God, on, on God's behalf. Saeed's wife, her name is Fatima, well, probably names change, but she said, when you pray with us, you meet with us in the throne room of heaven where we can have communion together. She says, when you pray for us, we meet together in the throne room of God that we might have communion together. So the top five countries I'd, I'd like us to pray for this t- at this time are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. Those are the top five countries that have the highest persecution in the world. And there are spiritual battles that are being waged around the world. There's spiritual battles that are being waged here as well. I think of 102 and just the things that, the opposition that we've been up against just to even get into that building. But let's remember the church abroad as we enter into this time of prayer. We're gonna take five minutes. We're gonna have, it may be awkward, maybe you don't know the person sitting next to you, but gather up in groups and begin to pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the brothers and sisters abroad that are hurting. After that five minutes is closed, we'll take five minutes, and we'll, t- we'll just close in prayer. So I'll invite the worship band up, and why don't you turn to the person next to you and just pray for the persecuted church. Pray for those believers. Pray for those Christians.
Lord Jesus, thank you that our, our prayers right now are, are going up before incense, like, like incense before you to your throne room of heaven, Lord. Do you hear each one of our prayers this morning here in Harvest Church? And you hear the prayers of the church around the world lifting up those who are being persecuted, those who are being martyred, Lord. We think of those people who are mothers and fathers and grandfathers, grandmothers, children, aunts, uncles who are risking it all, Lord, to, to, be, to put their faith and belief in you, Jesus. But we know that their, their, their cries, their fear, their worries, their concerns are heard by you, God. They're known by you. We lift that church up. We lift those who are suffering up to you, Jesus. May you keep them in our hearts and our minds this week as we just begin to pray. And maybe you're calling some of us, to, Lord, to take, to take action steps, to, to sacrifice something, time, money, whatever it may be, Lord, for those who are being persecuted, Lord God. Thank you for this morning, Lord. We worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you stand as we worship? Give 
your name high today. And God, we just lift up the persecuted church. Lord, I pray that you would hear the voices of your people. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers and hear our cries, God. Pray that you would meet people where they're at today. We thank you that we get to bring you our voices. We thank you that we get to bring you our worship. We love you and it's in your name we pray. 